Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On this episode, we're going to Las Vegas to our 2023 Clock Global Institute podcast lounge. I sat down with the hosts of the original legal ops industry podcast. They're the OG, the first in the space. That's Alex Rosenrock and Elliot Laibu of the Legal Ops Podcast. I wanted to hear about what they're hearing on their podcast and how, if at all, the trends and topics have shifted over time. We get into why they started the Legal Ops podcast back in 2019, inspired on a train ride back to Sydney from the Clock Australia Institute, where they just wanted to keep the podcast going and break into the podcast space. We also get into how Legal Ops is evolving to impact the larger business and is not only working within the bounds of legal departments. What an exciting transition we're on from Legal Ops to Strategic or Revenue Ops. And last, yes, we get into artificial intelligence in the legal world. And the new era we're headed into head first with this generative AI boom we find ourselves in. Enjoy the episode. So welcome to this podcast. I'd like to welcome the Legal Ops Podcast (laughs) to the Clock Talk Podcast. What a great moment, Alex and Elliot, you guys made it. Finally, we're doing it. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah, this is weird to be on the other side of the mic yeah, being but, interviewed. Yeah. But maybe you should podcast too. Just podcast back at me. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have to be a one-way combo because you're all out there interviewing. You guys have been doing this a few years now. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring you in because this means you're in people's heads because you're constantly chasing narrative on this. I wanted us to talk about like, what are we seeing? What are we seeing and feeling? What's going on out there in the podcast ether? I imagine you're finding more and more as time goes on, you go deeper and meet more people. And I don't know, do you have the answers for us today? Well, I said to Alex before this, actually, I'm going to answer the question I want to answer here, which is to tell the story about how we decided to start the Legal Ops podcast. That was going to be my first podcast. Why did you start it? Well, yeah, because it goes back about three and a half years now. And I don't think there was much else in the market at the time. This is what, 2019, I think it was. Mm Might have been one, perhaps. Look, Alex and I had both been at Clock in Sydney. Not everyone knows that there is Clock in other places, That's but right. there was Clock in Sydney. I'd spoken with Mary O'Carroll on a topic I can't remember what it was now. Alex had spoken on a topic I can't remember what it was now. <laughs> yeah. So we live in different parts of Australia and, we don't, and neither right. of us live in Sydney. So we were on the train back to Sydney Airport to then fly back to our respective places. Yeah. And on the train, we said, we are very lucky. We are getting to go to these awesome conferences, hear from awesome speakers, all this content that is amazingly sort of relevant to what we do and, and what we want to do. disappears once the conference and is And disappears yeah. and there's all these people missing out on it. And also, I don't think anyone's really doing a podcast to try to bring that stuff to a wider audience. Yeah. So let's do it. I guess it was just to make it more inclusive as well. Like Elliot said, we thought we were very special and we're... You guys are or- special. <laughs> in other ways as well. Yeah. But organizations that can afford to send us to these kind of things, but there are some people that don't have the budget or are really keen to get started, but just can't get there. And like you said, it's one and done. It's a really great session, but it might be one or two days. So how do we now bring that, scale it, make it available and make it available at all times, anyone around the world? And we've been doing this for what, three and a half years now. Mm -hmm. We've released an episode every two weeks since that period. And we've got listeners in 
I think it was like 100 different countries. We never thought that us mm. recording so cool. stuff about what we like in our bedrooms mm. would ever get to this kind of stage. And now we're at Vegas representing the podcast. Like it's just been an awesome journey. Representing Australia. I oh yeah, represent, yeah, representing Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's our highest per capita listenership? Oh, it's uh, Switzerland. Mm. So Really? The highest listenership per capita. For a number of reasons. I think one, they just have a really small population. Yes. <laughs> There's six people. And, 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 and two, they have some listeners. Yeah, so, yeah yes. exactly. exactly. Got it. Interesting. Oh, I look forward to one day getting metrics <laughs> on our podcast to see They're where... very difficult to get. Yes, yeah, mm. I bet they are mm. at the country level as well. Do we right. want to try to address the, uh, the question you actually asked? Yeah, what sure. Is the oh, yes. Mm. I don't have a great answer. I'm going to be honest. This well, is why I... Since you told the amazing origin story... Mm. You were talking about topics then, obviously, and with mm. people and big movers and shakers in our industry. Has that been the same theme throughout? Are you just swapping in all the latest or newest topics? Or have you guys even changed direction in your approach and how it started and how it's going now? So we used to ask all of our guests at the end of each episode, tell us where you think things are going in the future for legal ops in general. So what's coming down the pipe? What's going to have a major impact? Yeah. And I'll be honest, I would say most of our guests would say essentially more efficiency, better operations, better processes, mm -hmm. more of that. And I would say there's two big things I've seen in the last probably, I don't know, year or two. One is the obvious AI, right? Sure. Everyone's talking about yes. it. But the other is this idea that legal ops and legal as well, but particularly legal ops, should be more than just driving efficiency for the legal team, yeah. but should be delivering value to the broader business. I don't know. I saw Mary uh, O'Carroll speak about that last year. I don't know yeah, if she pioneered ups. that. But yeah. since then, I've heard a lot of that. And here I'm hearing a lot of that as well. So those are two big shifts that I've seen, I would say. And I think the general ethos we have is, what are we interested in? You know, my day job, I get to talk to a lot of different clients about certain things. Elliot also. And we just thought like, what am I interested in? And if we talk about something that we're really interested in and yeah. then find people that are also really interested in those things, then surely the content's going to be great. We're not creating content for the sake of content. We're creating it because we're generally really interested in the topic mm. and other people are generally interested. Are you both at PwC? No. No. Is I, someone at PwC? Yeah. <laughs> You're at PwC? Yeah, yeah, my day job. You've yeah. been there a while. Yeah, about three and a half years. And then yeah. before that, I was kind of in-house at Telstra, which is kind of Australia's largest telco. Yes. I've seen deals come through some contract system somewhere I worked with Telstra. <laughs> <laughs> familiar oh, with it. I think every company. Mm. And where are you working? ANZ Bank, one of the banks in Australia. One of the banks. And mm. then what do you do in your day job? So predominantly like legal tech consulting. So that's, cool. yeah, kind of like Netflix potentially <laughs> would sure. come to us and say, hey, you know, what kind of tech is on the market? Can you help us with that? So my role is to build alliances with tech companies, implement technology, everything from the change management side of things. So I kind of get in the dirt with the clients yeah. and help them go through that. So these decisions that people are really struggling with in terms of how do I get my head around AI and stuff like that, I have to figure that out to help them through this. Yes. And I'm going through this at the same time. And you're going through this at this moment because yeah. of the flood of generative AI buzz over all of us and all the legal practice areas that have to actually do new legal practice around the use of all of this material and these language models. So is it wild right now for you guys in generative AI? like the Wild West, I guess. Yeah, really. Well, I think there's kind of two camps. I'm trying to elicit some really spicy answers for these kind of questions yes. because that's always juicy, right? Yes. I'm trying to say like, who's, who's going to win? Who's are coming. <laughs> yeah, who's going to win? Who's going to lose? And you've got people that kind of wave the magic wand when you ask them about AI. And I won't name names, but walking around the hall there and asking like, what is your product doing for AI? And they give us an answer. And I'm like, I don't think you've answered that the question. Like, what is it? And then you talk to others. And you're like, man, you totally get it. Yeah. So 
I think there's a big divide. And for me, that's immersed in this kind of market that yeah. understands the nooks and crannies for me to even be a little bit confused. Like, what chance do buyers have? And I think a lot of the tech vendors are probably leveraging that. We're not at the peak of inflated expectations yet. And people are just, yeah, yeah, of course we use AI. It's like, well, how does that work? And so it is, in my mind, a bit of the Wild West. Well, if I could just add to that, I agree with everything you just said, but I do think it's interesting that there are some vendors, I'm not going to name any names, who are taking a more cautious approach. Even in the same market as other vendors who have got AI plastered everywhere, they're saying, well, we actually think there's real risk and danger here and we're going to take a more cautious approach, notwithstanding that all of our clients are saying, what are you doing with AI? What are you doing with AI? So I think it's really interesting. You're seeing a divergence of approach at the moment. And as you say, I think that, that shows the immaturity of the market in that space. And the marketing around all of this, I've been putting false ideas in people's heads. I wonder if they're expecting every product to have an answer, like, what are you doing with AI mm-hmm. on every one of these tech products? And I don't know. I believe most of the products we would use in your legal tech stack could benefit from some AI features or functionality, but it's not a given right now. We did an episode of our podcast. If I knew which number it was, I'd say it here, but I don't know which it is. I think it was called Legal AI or something like that. It's a fairly oh, yeah. early one. And I remember that we discussed at the time the difference between an algorithm and artificial intelligence, right? I'm not sure there's a clear line there, but that leads me to respond by saying that the reality is that many vendors have had the word AI, artificial intelligence, in their marketing for many years now. So has something fundamentally shifted in the world and in our brains? Is there something different that's going on at the moment? I actually think maybe there is. I'm not sure it's a different type of thing. I think it's perhaps a point of development on the spectrum which takes us into a new era rather than a new thing. But the point I would make is that this has been a buzzword that's been around for a long time. Perhaps we're seeing it even more than we used to, but something has changed. There's been a step change. However, I do agree with you. There was a flurry internally at every company, I'm sure, with open AIs, big chat, GPT boom, internally at Netflix where a lot of engineers and product folks were like, let's play and build some prototype. And then... They're looking around at all the business units and they're like, let's play with legal. Ooh, they were like AI on contracts. So I opened up a blank Google Doc and I was like, what we're already doing with AI and contracts that we've been working on for two plus years now, welcome to the party. You're late (laughs) and started listing out because we started our journey with a third party provider that has machine learning over it. So to neglect that or all that's going there just for the marketing and everything going on with large language models. I mean, I get it. Those are really cool, but we need to make good on this still over here because this takes years to get right. But Jen, is that, are you using it to find stuff and or to review inbound contracts in a negotiation? We're right now focused on the find. We're not doing review and we're Mm. not doing any generating a first draft of drawing from precedent. I think that's the goal here Mm. with all of these AIs combined Mm. is could you move across all three of those spaces? Mm. But no, I call it control F on steroids. If we can still say that. Are we still allowed to say steroids? Okay. (laughs) Surely. (laughs) I mean, you mentioned that we can ask some questions too. So what's your view on this idea of using AI now to review, for example, transactional paper, some contract, it's in a natural negotiation, put it into a system, get an AI to generate some kind of a response. If and only if, I think it's good if and only if you have your company's playbook positions and fallbacks and things sort of baked into a playbook, Mm -hmm. their playbooks. 
not everyone has that. I mean, we're all walking into sometimes super fast moving legal departments that they may have some element of a playbook in their heads, but it's not all really cleanly documented on paper. And Tom Orson from Microsoft is just in here talking about if we don't have the processes down or the playbooks written about our fallbacks, our gives, our stance on things, what is that tool going to review against? Can you tell me? I've got a different question. Let's say you have all your playbooks in place. I are, think if are there you residual have, risks then? I think if you have your playbooks in place and they're airtight and mm. good, I think that you can pass them through the AI tool to get a tech first pass. Mm. It's a first pass. And so when that gets to the human in mm. the next step, they can handle more scale, more volume because... It'll take out some of the tedium and the highlighting and it'll frame it up really, really well. I think AI is going to turn, I've been saying this, I don't know if this is an artful term. I think all this AI is going to serve to substitute shitty first drafts across a lot of disciplines. Shitty first reviews. That first review when the contract manager is reviewing, I think they can do that and frame it up. Are there risks to that? Oh yeah, it could miss something. And then your human that's next in line could be out that day. And something could get by a few steps and you can put the company at higher risk or something if we miss a closet. Or what if there's no human in the mix and you're just passing it through to a machine? Yeah, there's great risks there. Well, I think Alex is sick of hearing it because I've said it a few (laughs) times today, but I'm interested in this question of how you keep the human actively involved when most of the time there's a system getting it right. So, you know, say 95, 96, 97% of the time, there's some kind of AI-based system that's getting it right. And it's just the 2 or 3% that they need to stay alert and yeah. not alarmed. Right? The complacency effect. Yeah, the complacency, that's a word, yeah. They're so, going to yeah. have to find other things to <laughs> scale themselves up and work on or solve problems across the board more. Because, yeah, the systems will get good. They will start nailing these things down where people have good playbooks. Mm. And maybe their careers can grow. This is always the dream I'm trying to sell people with machine learning. I'm like, your career, like give us and the ML the first pass metadata tagging. I'm like, you sit in Los Angeles Mm. in an amazing office. You don't want to do data entry. Mm. Maybe they don't want to do that first review. So I try to sell the person on a new future. I'm selling. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Legal ops professionals are often responsible for creating efficiencies and reducing costs. One of the most significant ways you can do that is by reviewing your legal bills for overbilling. LegalBillReview.com is a team of U.S.-based licensed attorneys who review each line item on your legal bills, looking for overcharges and compliance with outside counsel guidelines. LegalBillReview.com is an extension of your legal ops team. They handle the administrative burden of bill review and approval. This allows your legal team to focus on new initiatives and substantive legal work. To get started, go to LegalBillReview.com and fill out the contact form. And now, back to the show. I want to I test assumption here. So we're talking about like the precursor to be able to use generative AI is that yeah. you've got playbooks. Why can't we use generative AI to create the playbooks? Like, let's say, for well, instance... we could. We absolutely could. Yeah, so there's kind of a, a couple of steps, right? If you've got your information in some structured database, right? Whether it's a document management system currently or whether it's a SharePoint or whatever, right? You've got a system and let's say 60% of that's good, 40% of it's bad. And if we can get through that and create those playbooks, and then the system can apply those playbooks, think about how fast that could go. A lot of the pushback I've had for 
knowledge management system, contract management system is like, dude, it's way too hard to like tag things and get a playbook yeah. up and running and then train system and stuff. Like that's gone now. It could be gone now. It's gone now. You've just inverted the whole thing. I'm in a template harmonization slog right um, now. Yeah. Our team is working through the pile and trying to carve out from that a playbook essentially right. on different types of deals. And it's very human and very manual. And then there's a lot of different structural formatting stuff, hurdles we have to clear. But once we clear the structural formatting, what if we just crammed it all in and said, tell us our <laughs> five most popular gives or fallbacks on this and just at point it. Right, you guys you may just save me two years. Well, that's what I, the reason why I brought that up is because I just went to the, the session with Mary and she was talking about that. Yeah. And it's a spicy kind of question that I want to continue to ask. Yeah. But like what systems or kind of product categories are we going to see effectively die? And she mentioned document management. Think of the effort that people have or teams that have set up doing document management for tagging things. Yeah. That's gone. What about surfacing information, knowledge management, being able to create precedents and things like that? That's effectively gone now. Or knowledge management. Knowledge management is very difficult mm. in-house. Are you guys, do you guys see this? It, yeah. Oh, yes. I think people on the podcast, I'm like, what are you doing for knowledge management? I still don't know. it. Someone tagged me, the thought leader on this years ago. I'm like, don't quote me. You can have my slides though, everyone. The, the answer, Jenny, is SharePoint. Yeah. That's what most <laughs> people do. SharePoint. <laughs> I think it could be a boon for knowledge management because it'll do all of that for the cause. Mm -hmm. And KM fails a lot because the humans have to go do the tagging. Which they want. And no human wants to do it. And I don't know that you should have your lawyers tagging stuff. Mm. They're trained and paid well to do hard deal making and help the business navigate to new places. So I think it's good for KM, but I think you're right with doc management or Mary's point on DM. That's mm. tough. If we think of the analogy of the generative AI as kind of like the engine, and you'll have to think about how do these systems now differentiate? And yeah. I think how they're going to do that is probably from a user experience perspective because that's all that's left, really. Yeah. So these document management players, knowledge management players, and definitely legal research players, they're effectively all on the same playing field now. Legal research is going to change. But it has to. From this. Some organizations have very large teams that do that. What's going to happen with those teams? They're going to not be large because you're literally going to need less manpower. You can set a GPT model to focus on all of the medical journals or all the subtype or that library or different libraries. And they're just in there. I think there's going to be a lot of displacement. These organizations will have to think about how they differentiate. Yeah. And I think that's really just going to be in the experience perspective. There's displacement in that ground shitty first draft work, but I think there's going to therefore be advancements because I think the humans and the good brains can take all of this inquiry further. I had a guy on recently, a friend who's a product manager, former engineer. He's in startup mode. He just left Spotify and he's using GPT to code a prototype of first startup idea. And he doesn't know how to code anymore. He's been out of coding for a decade, got an MBA, went into product. And rather than refine his chops, he's just using this as his entry-level coder. He could get a startup product going, prototypes further. So I'm kind of blown away. I think there's a lot of negative space that we don't even know. We don't even know that we can maybe get towards solving because all the shitty first draft work is getting done by the machine. That was the goal, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not just drafting, but the other things like writing emails, for instance. Like, yeah, you can do that right now in terms yeah. of pre-writing a, a piece of advice for something like that you've already done before. 
It's not just contracts. It's really anything that requires application of knowledge. Like you think of knowledge workers and that's what lawyers are. I don't know if it was you that mentioned this morning, but we're not the only industry that's going through this. Yeah. Think of as lawyers, we apply knowledge. I mean, yeah. the medical profession, we might not need to crack this ourselves. In fact, everyone's probably trying to crack the same thing at the same time. Because no. we're really just applying knowledge. What's interesting with legal people, though, is we're language. Well, lawyers are language people. So it's fun to see this intersection mm-hmm. of language models for language people and people who draft stuff for mm-hmm. a living. Well, let's not forget also that the stakes are higher. So yeah. GPT mm-hmm. is fantastic to help me write that birthday card, to help <laughs> me write the wedding speech or whatever yeah. it might be. Kevin Clem was showing yes. me at dinner last yes, night, the yes. puns. Yes. He's yeah. giving me a Vegas poem yes. with as many Vegas puns as you can put in. And he had a toast. He had a yes. letter to yeah. his wife. Yeah. yeah. It was, mm. yeah. Which is incredibly useful to draw on that huge knowledge bank to help yeah. you find creativity within it. Yeah. But then when it's got to be accurate and correct. And good. And good. Yeah, you're going to want that that person. That's where you got to be careful. Mm. Yeah. I tried going into GPT in a songwriting session recently. It did nothing for me. It was crap. It was giving me really cliche lyrics. And songwriting is a form of creativity. And we bounce off each other in the room and try to find... It's like you're trying to find something in the air and then pull it into a great phrase that just has... Sometimes it's just how someone says it with a sound and it, it didn't work. So I don't know if it's mm. going to come into first drafts there or poems, but... My impression at the moment is that where it's better is when you've already had the creativity and then you want to have your voice in someone else's style, for yes. example. Mm. Or you want to change the style of what you've already made to something yes. else. That's where it's good. Like if I want to write a song, put my body of work in and mm. then like have a Shakespeare iambic pentameter like sure. across it, like <laughs> mash it up. Or do it in the style of Nirvana or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are really fun. Mm. Well, I like some of the topics you guys threw out here today. I like hearing how your podcast started and this arc. And it sounds like you're seeing more in evidence now that legal ops is transcending a bit. It's not Mm. just legal. It's moving beyond that inside the enterprises. That's really exciting. We're expanding. Of course, we talked about generative AI. Anything we're leaving on the table here that we need to talk about? I suppose one thing I'd say, and we've talked about it a few times on the podcast, is the macroeconomic environment, yes. right? Which is having a real effect on many of the vendors that are in that exhibit hall. Yeah. I don't that, think you necessarily notice it because yeah. they've still got all the swag and they're still all there. Yeah. But probably some of them will either now or in the future be suffering because there's just not as much liquidity in the market. So go back 18 blank. months and we were seeing $100 million raises at billion dollar valuations. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen at the moment and maybe not for the next few years. The markets shakes it down. They shake Mm. everything down and people have to pare back on budgets everywhere. This Mm. is already happening. I was impressed with the turnout we still had here in terms of attendees and vendors. I got nervous with Mm. watching the markets in the last six to eight months. The light's going to be dimmed here, but (laughs) it's a great showing. We're sold. Mm. Everything's at capacity here. But yeah, I'm really wondering what will that mean for their marketing efforts? The CLM wars, like what will this mean? Like someone has to eat someone. Yeah, oh, we've been saying that we, for a yeah, while. We've made yeah, that prediction. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be consolidation. Yeah, there, there's going to be consolidation mm. and it'll be interesting to see how the markets sharpen all of this. Well, a small thing I'll just mention is that we were chatting with some guys last night who are in banking and they are trying to build a service essentially where they find legal tech startups to focus specifically on legal tech and they want to have a brokerage service for legal tech that wants to sell and they want to find buyers. So if you've got a legal tech, you want to sell it, 
They want to find the buyers. They want to be in that middle space. Cool. And they'll, of course, take a fee. And the reason I've mentioned that is that I think that kind of service, which has existed in other markets for probably, well, I won't it's say like centuries, but a long time. It's like yeah, it's a e- sign of maturity, yeah. I think, of the market. The market is maturing. I mean, you guys have been at this a while. It was not mature seven years ago. It was just, it was seal and everyone was running around. It, was, it just felt like a whole different space that compared to what's going on now. But it's going to be really interesting to see. Well, was legal ops even a phrase back then? I Barely. I was at a dinner in San Francisco in 2013, trying to describe to an Apple engineer what I did. And he was just like, he was just invalidating everything I was saying. He's like, you don't do anything. I was like, it's kind of solutions architecture. And then he tore that down. And now I can answer that question clearly. And there's thousands of us doing it. So it's really a thing. It's come a long way. And then it'll be fun to see where all this career stuff goes. I don't know if you guys have heard me out there saying anywhere lately, we're not done drawing the endpoints of careers that we're all in. We are choosing our own adventure. We're still drawing. It's not just about chief of staff. I mean, Mary's at a vendor. Steve Harmon's at Elevate doing GC COO work. It's so cool. And I'm excited to see where it all goes. So we. Absolutely. You guys, thanks for coming in today. Fun to mash it up. Podcasty yeah. podcast. <laughs> thanks for having us. It's been yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's I'll been s- good. I love this couch. I love the pillow. I love the color. I was told I wasn't allowed to cuddle it. So that's why it's sitting here. Oh, you guys, you didn't <laughs> let to cuddle the pillow. We're so mean. But excited to hear your conference podcast footage you're capturing mm. out there on the floor. And uh, listen back to it all and see where we're headed. Thanks, awesome. Jen. Thanks. That about wraps up this episode. Thank you, Alex and Elliot, aka The Legal Ops Podcast, for coming on Clock Talk. This was exciting to me as the time Melrose Place and Beverly Hills 90210 touch narratives on American 1990s television. You can catch this, The Legal Ops Podcast, and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>